0: All right, beautiful ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. We have a brand new week, a brand new Torah portion. So today is Monday, December twenty seventh, two thousand and twenty one, just a few days away from twenty twenty two. And this week's Torah portion is Vaera. Vaera. This is a. This is another action packed Torah portion. We have just the most incredible, um, just thrilling narrative and, and it's just like, how do you describe the, the narrative of the Exodus? I mean, we all know the story, but it's so many details and so many lessons that are interwoven in the, in the, in the, in the minor details or the seemingly minor details. So let's do this. Let's jump in and let's try to uncover some of the insights. Okay. Torah reading for Vaira. Reading number one. This is Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 2. Just to bring us up to speed, at the end of last week's Torah portion, so before getting better, things have gotten worse for the Jewish people ever since Moses and Aaron spoke to Pharaoh and said, God said to us to deliver a message to you saying, let my people go so that they may serve me on the mountain. So ever since that point, the slavery got more, more severe, much more difficult. Pharaoh said that you have to now, to the Jewish people and to the, to the officers that were overseeing the Jewish people, the Jewish officers, you have to, you, the people are now going to have to gather their own straw to make the bricks, to make the buildings. And the quota will remain the same. So the raw materials will, will no longer be provided. And the output has to be the same. The people were severely broken by this new stage of the decree complained to Moses, Moses complains to God, essentially saying, why have you harmed these people? Why have you done wrong to these people? From the moment I went to Pharaoh, it's gotten worse. And God said, last verse of last week's Torah portion, hang on, you ain't seen nothing yet. So the dialogue continues in the beginning of this week's Torah portion. So let's begin. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, it's really part of the conversation that we read at the end of last week's Torah portion. It's still the same conversation, but it kind of newly introduces it. And so God says to, to Moses, I am the Lord. Now this is interesting. He says, Ani Hashem. And Hashem, the name for Hashem that's used here is the Yud Kevavke, the four-letter, sorry, the four-letter name of God that we do not pronounce. We never pronounce the way it's written. We pronounce it Adoshem. sort of. I'm just modifying it a little bit. I'll try to pronounce that name. But we don't Pronounce the way it's written. This is considered to be the loftiest name of God, and God says this: "Ani Hashem, I am, I am Hashem, I am this four-letter name of God." This becomes significant in the next verse. I appeared to Abraham. God says to Moses, "I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, with the name Almighty God." That is Kael Shakai. These are different names of God. I appeared to the other, to the patriarchs, to your forefathers with these names, Kael, Shakai, but with the name, again, the name Yurke Vavke, the name Hashem, I'm just going to call it Hashem, I did not become known to them. Essentially, God is saying, as much as I revealed myself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, as much as we had communication and they were prophets, they only tapped into a lower dimension of my reality, you, to you, I am revealing a much higher, deeper level of my reality. Why is this relevant here? So there are different ways to, understand, to explain it. I'll tell you what Kabbalah says about it. Kabbalah says that the meaning of this is that when things are operating by the lower dimensions of God's reality or God's name, so that's where nature, kind of the, the laws of nature are strong and nature takes hold. And that's where there could be suffering and there could be exile, etc. And Hashem is saying to Moshe, now, Ani Hashem, I am Yurke Vavke. I'm going to reveal, I'm going to manifest from the deepest core of my essence. And on that level, that's where there can be no opposition, there can be no suffering, there can be no pain. And it's from there that the exodus and the miracles surrounding the exodus will occur. That's, that's one level of understanding that basically comparing and contrasting the, the different dimensions, if you will, of the divine reality, lower names of God, so to speak, higher names of God, the, higher na- the highest name of God, and um, that this is, this is the revelation that's now going to happen, is the yod Vavke, the, the highest name of God. Let's continue. And also God says, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings in which they sojourned. In other words... I appeared to them with a lower name, but I did also establish a covenant with them. And part of the covenant, the big piece of it is the land. It's two things, children, a a legacy, but also the land. So I established a covenant to give them the land, and that promise is still still valid. Let's continue, verse 5. God continues, And also I heard the moans of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians are holding in bondage, and I remembered my covenant. God is saying, I have not forgotten. I've remembered my covenant. I know exactly what I promised about the Jewish people in the land of Israel. It's going to happen. Therefore, God says, in response to the, let's see, how shall we phrase it? In response to the disillusionment, that's a good word, to the disillusionment that has now come over the people having been, Faced with a much more severe wave of slavery. What am I referring to? I'm just going to reset this again. At the end of last week's Torah portion, Pharaoh issues a new wave of a new stage of of the slavery decree, no raw materials being provided for the Jewish slaves. That created disillusionment, and the people are now upset at Moses. Understand this Moses and Aaron came to them with promises of freedom, and it's now getting worse. There's disillusionment, there's maybe bitterness. There is a little maybe animosity toward this whole thing, this whole fantasy of of, of freedom. And so, therefore, God says, God reiterates his promise to Moses to share with the Jewish people. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, Ani Hashem, using the four letter name of God, and I will take you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will save you from their labor and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. There are four, oh, sorry. And I will take you, sorry, there are four expressions here of redemption. Okay? I will take you out from under the burdens. I will save you from the labor, and I will redeem you. No, there's only three. V'hi tseisi, v'hi tsalti, v'goalti, v'lekachti, yeah. And the next one is four. Okay, verse seven, and I will take you to me as a people and I will be a God to you and you will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is the message. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not over yet. One more verse. I will bring you to the land concerning which I raised my hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. These three verses, just to be very clear, I know I ran through it a little bit, but I I just kind of want to, these three verses are very important. This is the new message that Moses is meant to deliver to the Jewish people following their disillusionment in having the slavery only get worse and not any better. God is reiterating and doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down in the promise. God is saying, I am Hashem. I am the Lord. Right? I will take you out from under the burdens. I will save you from the labor. I will redeem you with an arm. I will take you as my people. I will bring you to the land. Five expressions of redemption. This is the source. Four expressions of redemption. And the fifth is about bringing you to land, which is the ultimate promise. But four, kind of getting... Well, three, as far as the exodus. The fourth is take you to me as a people, which is kind of like just general, you know, general, you're you're mine, I'm yours. And the fifth one is about the land. It's because of these four expressions of redemption in verses six and seven that we have four cups of wine. And it's because of the fifth expression of, I will bring you to the land, which is considered to be not just a promise of going into Israel with Joshua, but a promise of the ultimate redemption and being redeemed from the final exile with Mashiach. That's why we have the cup of Elijah, which is the fifth cup of wine on the night of the Seder. Just to explain where the custom of the four cups of wine comes from, it comes from the four expressions of redemption in these two verses, and the cup of Elijah, comes from verse number eight which is the fifth expression of bring you to the land so these are some very important and also practical messages that we have canonized or not even canonized incorporated into Jewish life and Jewish practice and Jewish ritual and Jewish tradition on an annual basis at the Seder these are it, it's, it's beautiful expressions and just the the overall con- context here is where Hashem God is reassuring Moses to reassure the people, that don't worry, my promise of redemption is not fake. It's not a, oh, whoops, you know, we missed it. Oh, well, we'll try again next time. You know, it's getting worse? All right, well, it was a good shot. This is, it's happening, the wheels are in motion, I promise this is happening, I will take you out, I will save you, I will redeem you, I'll take you as a people, I will bring you to the land. These are five expressions of promises from God to Moses to tell the Jewish people to get them out of their funk, to get them out of their disillusionment, to get them out of their, the fog of slavery that has only gotten worse and has not gotten better. So that's what God tells Moses in response to Moses saying, what's going on? What are you doing? God is saying, it's all good. Stay the course. And here, here's what you should tell the people. So Moses, verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. He told this to them, but they did not hearken to Moses. At this point, they did not hearken to Moses. Now, the first time he came to them and said, God said he's going to take you out, everyone was on board. Everyone was like, Ooh, Moses, you're the man. But after he went to Pharaoh and the slavery got, you know, many times worse, at this point, they're a little less... Um, they're a little less uh, quick on the, on the draw to say, yes, we're all in. This is amazing. We're, back. we're behind you 100%. At this point, they're a little gun shy. They're a little hesitant. They're a little bit... Um, a little bit more tepid with their response. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not hearken to Moses. Why? Because of their shortness of breath and because of their hard labor. And you know what that means? Literally, because they're running around all day finding straw to then manufacture into bricks, to then build the buildings for Pharaoh's, um, you know, these cities of Pitom and Ramses, they're, they're, they're schlepping and they're moving and they're, they're doing all these things. They're hustling all day. They don't have the bandwidth. They don't have the physical energy. They don't have the emotional energy. They don't have the, the psychological space. To be able to entertain these ideas, at this point, they are really in a bad state. Okay. At this point, for some reason, the Torah circles back. I'll tell you why, according to Rashi. But it's a little bit interesting. From verse 10 through 13, the Torah is going back to the beginning of the God-Moses dialogue. When he originally picked Moses to be the one, the Redeemer of the Jewish people, even though we're now deep into it. God has spoken to Moses. Moses refused. Then Moses finally took the job. Then he went to the people. Then he went to Pharaoh. Then it got bad. Then he complained to God. Then God pro- doubled down on the promise that it's going to be good. And Moses told the people, and the people now are not believing him, The Torah now decides to reset. How do we get here? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 11, Come speak to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he will let the children of Israel out of his land. That's the original original mission that God gave Moses. But Moses spoke before the Lord saying, Behold, the children of Israel did not hearken to me. How then will Pharaoh hearken to me, seeing that I am of closed lips? Although, you could say that maybe this is happening now that the people are not listening to him because of their, you know, their their fog of slavery. You could say that. But I believe, we'll, we'll talk about Rashi in a second, that Rashi is saying it's going back before. So the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, and he commanded them concerning the children of Israel and concerning Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Right, so Moses says, how are they going to listen to me? But God says, no. He commanded them, telling them about uh, the people and about Pharaoh to let them out. Okay, so let's let's take a look at some Rashi's over here and let's see. Let us see. Okay, so first of all, when God says to him at the beginning of the conversation, God says to him, I am, I am the Lord, I am Hashem. Rashi says that means I am faithful to recompense all those who walk before me. God says, I am God. You You can count on me to deliver my promises. I did not send you to Pharaoh except to fulfill my words which I spoke to the early fathers. In other words, the only reason why I sent you there to Pharaoh is to deliver on what I promised, which is the promise that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about inheriting the land of Canaan. Obviously, to do that, you need to get out of here. So all of that is still on the line. Let's let's fast forward a little bit. God says, I appeared to the fathers, the forefathers, I made promises to them, all of which I said to them, I am the Almighty God, Keel Shakai. Interesting. I'm going to paraphrase this one. God says, I appeared to them with the name Keel Shakai, but not with the the name Yudkei Vavke, not with the four-letter name of God. Basically, that means, according to Rashi, that I I gave them promises of the land, but I didn't fulfill it. But now, now it's going to happen. Now it's going to be fulfilled. Rashi quotes the various times that God promised the patriarchs about the land, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. We have all the verses here. I mean, we've done all these. We've, We've gone through all these verses ourselves. Okay, um, Okay, also I've heard Rashi says, just as I established and set up a covenant, it is incumbent upon me to fulfill it. Therefore, I heard the moans, complaints of the children of Israel who are moaning. Okay, therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I am faithful to to my promise. Tell the people that I am faithful. Okay, and then, but the bottom line is they did not hearken to Moses they did not accept consolation, i.e. they despaired completely of ever being redeemed. This is a new turn of events where the people now are not, are, not, um, are not accepting the consolation of it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. Or it's not okay. You're, you're, not, you're not making me feel any better. That's, the, that's where the people were emotionally, psychologically. Rashi explains the next Rashi, their shortness of breath. What does that mean? Whoever is under stress, his wind and his breath are short. And think about anxiety. Right? Think about when you're anxious, stressed. It's like your breathing changes, right? His wind and his breath are short. And he cannot take a deep breath. Similar to this interpretation, I heard from Rabbi Baruch, the son of Rabbi Yezer. I'm going to skip this a little bit. Let's, let's, go, uh, so this, let's go to this last part. The Holy One, blessed be, he said to him, said to Moses, we suffer a great loss for those, the patriarchs, who are lost and whose replacement cannot be found. I must lament, says God, the death of the patriarchs. Many times I revealed myself to them as Almighty God, and they did not ask me, what is your name? But you asked, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So there's, at the end of this Rashi, there's a little dig. It comes around to a different interpretation, a little dig against Moses. Why does God mention the patriarchs? He says to the patriarchs, I only revealed my lower name and, you know, less miracles were about to, that are about to happen and they followed me without any complaints. You, the whole day, what's your name? I don't want to do the job. Why are you harming these people? All these questions. Question, 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 question. Moses, you don't stop asking questions. Ah, how I long for the days of the patriarchs who I would say something and they would just do it. Yeah, true, true. In the book of Genesis, there's not much, not much pushback. There's a little pushback. Abraham goes to God by Sodom's destruction and says, Hey, will you, you know, will you spare the, the cities if there are 10 righteous people or 50, fifty righteous people, 45? There's a little negotiation that happens. But when it's done, Moses Abraham well, goes on his way. There's not a lot of, there's not a, a tremendous amount of pushback. But Moses, forget about it. He doesn't want. The, God says, All right, let's do it. Moses' is like, I'm out. Who says that to God? Who says I'm out? Who says I'm not taking the job? Right? Talk about a promotion. You turn, turn down the boss, then questions, including the last one that we had at the end of the last week's Torah portion, Lama HaRais, Why are you harming these people? The patriarchs would have never asked that. Okay. Here we go. Let's continue. Rashi continues with this theme and also establish. And when Abraham sought to bury... Sarah, he could not find a grave until he bought one for a very high price. Similarly, with Isaac, the Philistines contested the wells he dug. And so was Jacob, and he bought the part of the field which he had pitched his tent. And yet they did not question my actions. In other words, I promised them the land. And the next thing you know, this guy, Abraham, has to buy a part of the land. Isaac is dealing with Philistines who are stealing the wells on the land. And Jacob is also buying some land. Even though I promised it to them, they could have said to me, why do I have to shell out the cash if you gave me the promise? Where are you, God? Why are you harming me? Why aren't you giving it to me for free? They could have said that. They didn't. But you said, God turns to Moses, but you, the trucks, they just paid the cash, even though I promised them. They didn't, they understood, they didn't understand, whatever, they moved on. But you said, why have you harmed the Israelites? I'm going to skip this. Rashi then gets into this Medrash, does not fit the text. Rashi gets into a critique against the Medrash. I think, I don't know if you have to get a back and forth between Rashi and the Medrash, right? I don't think we have to get here as the gloves come off. But just know that there's a diff, different ways of looking at the verses. And I feel like, I feel okay with presenting various pieces. Whether God was telling him, you know, I I did it. The simple explanation is God says to God says to Moses, the, to the patriarchs, I didn't reveal my truth to you. It's about to get wild and, and amazing. So that's the simple level of, level of understanding. And on, on this Madrashic understanding, it's a bit of a critique against Moses, right? The patriarchs never complained. You're complaining. Whatever. Either way, it's, it's an interesting narrative. Now, yeah. Joy, jump in. Maybe this is why we have the four sons. Moses was one of those four sons. Good. And they're very difficult. They all need explaining in different ways. And Moses needed explaining in a different ways than his forefathers. Good. I like it. I like it. Some people rely on this level of faith or whatever, and some people need a little bit more reassurances or more proof. you got to see it to believe it along the way. Good. I like it. I like it. Um... Okay, um, fine. So, and again, and, and then the Torah circles in the last few verses, the Torah circles around to talk about the general mission, and Hashem says, all right, go on the mission, embark on the mission, and it's going to be good. All right, now let's jump into reading two. I know we're, we're, we're jumping pretty quickly into reading two, but, uh, but let's do it. Reading two, Vayera, this is Exodus chapter 6, verse number 14. Let's jump in. At this point, because the Torah mentioned once again that it was Moses and Aaron who were the the leaders who were going to facilitate on the ground, facilitate this exodus. So the Torah now quickly reviews the lineage of Moses and Aaron. Well, we know that Moses and Aaron were Levites from the tribe of Levi. But who exa- what exactly did the mishpacha look like? What, what did the family look like? So we start from the top, from Reuben, and we go through Levi, and we're going to get to Moses and Aaron, and then close out the family tree. This is not a full family tree of all 12 tribes and all the people. Remember, there were thousands and th- tens of thousands of Jews at this point. You know, having six babies at a time will do that to your population numbers. So we're not going through the whole family tree. This is just enough to get to Moses and Aaron, to kind of support their lineage, and then the narrative, the Exodus narrative, will continue after some words from our local genealogy, genealogists. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. The following, or these following, are the heads of the fathers' houses. In other words, these are the these are the main families amongst the tribes, up to and including the Levite families of Mosaner. The sons of Reuben. Israel's firstborn were Enoch, Palu, Chetzron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. And the sons of Shimon, Simeon. Yemuel, and Yamin, and Ohad, and Yachin, and Sohar, and Shaul, the son of the Canaanites. These are the families of, Sim- of Shimon. By the way, Saul, the son of the Canaanites, we've talked about that before, that was the son of Dina, their sister. Yeah, Saul, this is the young man who was born from Dina's abduction and assault by Shechem. So it refers to them as the son of the Canaanites. It means the woman who was taken by the Canaanite, i.e. Dina. And these are the names of, of Levi's sons after their generations. Right, Levi, the next son is Reuven, Shimon Levi. Those are the first three sons of Yaakov. Shimon's sons, sorry, Levi's sons were Gershon, Kahat, and Merari. And the years of Levi's life, although none other were mentioned, the years of Levi's life were 137 years. Notice it doesn't mention the years of Shimon's life or Reuben's life, but when it comes to Levi, his years are mentioned and there's significance in that, which which hopefully we'll get to soon. Now, let's, uh, Levi, Levi had three sons. Gershon, Kahat, Merari. Let's break down these, these three families. The sons of Gershon were Livni and Shimi to their families. The sons of Kahat were Amram, Yitzhar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the years of Kahat's life were 133 years. And the sons of Merari, it's the third family among the Levites, were Machli and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites according to their generations. Alright, now, so I hope you're getting this thing. So, these, so, Levi was one of the sons of Yaakov. Levi has three sons, Gershon, Kat, Um, Kahat, this is already, okay, so you have Levi, Kahat, and then you have Amram, Yitzhar, Hebron, and Israel. These are grandchildren of Levi. Okay, What about Amram's kids? These would be the great-grandkids of Levi. Amram took Yocheved, his aunt, as a wife. And she bore him, Aaron and Moses. Aaron and Moses. Oh, and Miriam. Miriam is not mentioned for whatever reason. Miriam, Aaron and Moses, and the years of Amram's life were 137 years. This seems to be about a sweet spot, like 130-ish years at that time. And the sons of Yitzhar were Korach, Korach, yeah, that's that Korach, the guy who staged the, the, the coup at the, uh, in, the, in the book of uh, Numbers. The sons of Yitzhah were Korach and Nefeg and Zichri. And the sons of Uziel were Mishael, El and Sisri. Now Aaron, who is a great-grandson of Levi, Aaron took himself a wife. Elisheva, the daughter of Aminadav, the sister of Nachshon. Nachshon would be the one ultimately to, when, when the sea split, he walked into the sea before it split and it got up to his nose and that's when it split. He was the guy that walked in. And she, Aaron's wife, right? This is Aaron's wife, Elisheva. She bore him, Nadav and Avihu, Elazar and Itamar. Again, Nadav and Avihu, spoiler alert, they were the ones who died on the day that the Mishkan was to be inaugurated a little later on in history. Those are, the, those are the two sons that brought a foreign offering and died. And the sons of Korach were Asir, Elkanah, and Aviasaf. These are the families of the Korahites. By the way, these sons of Korach, they were the ones... See, this is why when you learn the whole Torah and then you go back, you start like piecing together information. These are the sons of Korach... Who were swallowed in the earth remember when the earth swallowed everybody remember i told you when we studied it that the that the, the sons of korach they had thoughts of regret right before they were swallowed by the earth and because of that according to our tradition a platform was was created for them and they were spared from falling into the depths of the earth and ultimately they made their way out the three sons of korach survived the question is what were their names you have, to, you, have to, you have to remember that in Exodus, you know, in the middle of, almost randomly, in the middle of the story of the Exodus, we have a family tree here, and we actually have the names of the sons of Korach. And here's Asir, Alkana, and Aviasaf. These are the three sons who were swallowed by the earth, but who survived and ultimately made it out. There's even a psalm, Livne Korach Mizmershir, a song of the children of Korach, the sons of Korach. Well, who were the composers? Boom, right here. Asir, Alkana of Yosef. Next. Now, Lazar, the son of Aaron. Remember, Aaron had four sons. Nadav, Avi, Elazar, and Itamar. So, Elazar the son of Aaron, took himself one of the daughters of Putiel. One of the daughters of Putiel. Putiel was Yisro, Jethro. He took uh, Mo- Moses' father-in-law as well. He took one of the daughters of Putiel to himself as a wife. And she bore him Pinchas, Phineas, Pinchas. Remember Pinchas? It's like, it's like I, I love how we're getting the cast of characters that are going to appear throughout the fight. Like in the book of Numbers, like in a while, we're going to get like, oh, Pinchas, he's the guy that speared, right? Cosby and Zimri when they were sitting after Balaam, the evil prophet, gave the advice that the daughters should seduce the Jewish men and then get them to idolatry and immorality. All right, so we're getting, the Torah clearly is not giving us every single member of the family we're only getting certain great-grandchildren, right? And, great, and great-great-grandchildren now, we're talking about. We're only getting, because this is, remember, Pinchas is, one second, let's do the math here. Levi, Kahat, I'm going generations, right? Levi, Kahat, Amram, Aaron, Elazar, Pinchas. That's sixth generation. So father, son, grandson, great-grandson, great-great-grandson, great-great-great-grandson. Great 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 grandson of Levi is Pinchas. Okay? That's a lot of greats. That's he was very great. Right? Great, great, great grandson of Levi, one of the twelve tribes, is this fellow, Pinchas. So we're not here's my point. Here's my the reason why I'm saying this is because the Torah is not giving us a full list of all the great-great-great-grandsons. It's not giving us that, all that generation. Only Pinchas. Why? Because we need to know his name. Because he comes up later in the narrative. All right? So that's why we're getting certain, certain uh, characters here. These are the heads of the fathers' houses, of the Levites according to their families. And that is Aaron and Moses. To whom the Lord said that. In other words, that, the aforementioned Aaron and Moses right here in verse 20. Born to Amram who was born to Kahat, who was born to Levi. Yeah, that Aaron of Moses. These are the, this is the Aaron of Moses to whom the Lord said, take the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt with their legions. And they, these, this Aaron of Moses, they are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the children of, of Israel out of Egypt. They are Moses and Aaron. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. It's like, we've now like, kind of explained, described a little of the family tree, and this is the Aaron and Moses, this is Moses and Aaron. Notice that it it switches the order. I'm sure you notice that, right? Verse 26 says, that is Aaron and Moses. And then it concludes it, they are Moses and Aaron. Hold on, is it Aaron and Moses or Moses and Aaron? What's the message? message is that they were interchangeable. Sometimes Aaron went first, sometimes Moses went first because they shared the leadership in a healthy way. It wasn't like they were fighting for whose name gets up uh, you know, in the lights. You know, who? It's like you have, you have the, the show on Broadway. It's the Aaron and Moses show or the Moses and Aaron show? It's like, which one is it? They were able to share it. So the Torah kind of, Torah gives it to us both ways to tell us that they were, they were cool with each other's, um, with, with sharing the, the spotlight. Now it came to pass, I love how this verse ends. Now it came to pass on the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, Bum, bum, bum. Well, what happened? What came to pass? So we we need to read the next the next little piece, but the point is that this is what happened, right? The, the Torah portion ends by saying, this is what happened on that day that God said to Moses in the land of Egypt to tell Pharaoh, let my people go' And then the Exodus narrative will continue. And we're going to get into that tomorrow. Okay, um, Yeah, that the Lord spoke to Moses. OK, fine. So it ends in a little bit of a cliffhanger, kind of a, middle of a bit of a middle of a sentence, but it's, it certainly creates an, an intrigue for what follows. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to do a few quick rashes just to round out the conversation, and then we're going um, to take questions, comments, and then close it out. So Rashi points out here that why does the Torah, if the Torah just wants to tell us about Moses and Aaron, so why does it start all the way back from Reuben? So Rashi explains, since scripture has to trace the lineage of the tribe of Levi as far as Moses and Aaron, because of Moses and Aaron, it commenced to trace the Israelites' lineage in the order of their birth, starting with Reuben. That's it. So if, if, it, if it's going to go into the Le- Le- Levi's family, to Moses and Aaron, it says, the it, it you know, let's start from the beginning, and let's go, go all the way through till, uh, till we get to Moses and Aaron. That's a simple explanation. Rashi says, and Psikta uh, Medrash, I saw the following statement. Because Jacob rebuked the progenitors of these three tribes at the time of his death, Scripture again traces their lineage here by themselves to infer that even though Jacob rebuked them, they are of high esteem. If you recall, the end of the book of Genesis when Jacob is speaking to his children, Ruvain, he says, you lost it. You had the glory, you lost it. Shimon and Levi, y'all are violent. Yeah, he, he chastised those three His first three sons, Reuben, Shimon and Levi, he dug into a little bit. A little sharp. Now we said, yeah, they all got all the blessings, but at least on the surface he really, you know, dug into them. Okay? So the Torah again now lists just their lineage. Reuben, Shimon and Levi. These three tribes, ostensibly to get to Moses, but on a deeper level to kind of reclaim their their legacy (coughs) and to like demonstrate that That indeed, they they do have value, they do have... um, They are of high esteem, as Rashi says. Okay, I mentioned before that the Torah of all three, Reuven, Shem, and Levi, only tells us how long Levi's life was, 137 years. Why? So Rashi asked that question. Why were Levi's years counted? Rashi answers to let us know how many were the years of slavery, bondage. For as long as one of the tribes was alive, there was no bondage. As it is said, now Joseph died as well as all his brothers, and afterwards a new king arose, and Levi outlived them all. Levi lived the oldest of his brothers, 137 years. So this is how the Torah tells us, and the math is done elsewhere, but this is how we know how long slavery, the duration of slavery was, based on Levi's demise. Okay, take a look at this. In the, in the years of Kut's life, and the years of Aram's life, etc. So Rashi says, from this calculation, we learn that the 400-year sojourn of the Bnei the children of Israel, which scripture talks about, it was not spent in Egypt alone, but rather was calculated from the day Yitzhak Isaac was born. When God tells, let me explain. When God, God told Abraham, Avram, that your descendants will be slaves, will be in a foreign land, enslaved uh, for 400 years, never happened the jews were not in egypt for 400 years they were there in two they were there for 210 years not 400 what's 400 from the moment isaac is born it's 400 years until the exodus why, why isaac isaac wasn't in, wasn't enslaved in egypt okay but it means from god told abraham your descendants will be slaves 400 years your descendants starting from your son it's going to be 400 years until you guys get back. Not that the Egyptian experience itself will be 400 years. Rashi says this could be calculated thus, for Kahat was among those who went down to Egypt. Now calculate all his years and the years of Amram, his son, and Amram his son and the 80 years of Moshe, and you will find that they do not total 400 years. Many of the son's years are including the father's years. So basically, if you calculate... All of Kahat's years, 137, plus Amram. Amram lived 137. So let's do the math. 137 plus 137 is 272, plus 80 years of Moshe. 272 plus 80 is 352. You don't have 400. And that's counting Kahat's whole life, plus Amram's whole life, Plus Moses till 80 when he, when he led the Jewish people out of Egypt. And it's still only 352 years. So there's no way they were in Egypt for 400 years. Kahat was not born in Egypt. He was born before Egypt. And Kahat did not have Amram the day that he died. And Amram did have Moshe the day that he died. So if you line up their whole lifespans, right? If you line up if you, in a timeline, if you do the whole Kahat, and then the whole Amram, and then the whole Moses lined up end to end, it's only 352 let alone when they're overlapping. That's what Rashi's saying here. I hope that makes sense. Yeah? It's just straight-up math, right? All right. The point is that the Jews were not in Egypt for 400 years. How long were they in Egypt? Rashi doesn't say this right here, but they were in Egypt for 210 years. Two, one, zero. 210 years. Okay. Um, who was Yocheved? His aunt. Amram married Yocheved, his aunt. Okay, um, his father's sister, the daughter of Levi, the sister of Kahat. That's what Rashi says. He married his father's sister, the daughter of Levi. Again, his father was Kahat, so Kahat's sister. Yeah. Okay. By the way, t- uh, in, in, according to Torah law, we don't marry ants. But this is before the Torah was given. I don't know. What are you going to do? Um, yeah. Then why do so many rabbis, I've heard so many times, I always refer to the 400 years we were slaves in Egypt. Um, well... What can I say? I, I can't defend something that's not true. <laughs> what am I going to say? I, I mean, like it's, they didn't spend 410 years in Egypt. It's the God promised that, the, that, that Abraham's descendants will be in exile for 400 years. It wasn't 400 years. It was 400 years from Isaac's birth until the Exodus. But Isaac and Jacob, they weren't in Egyptian exile ex, 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 or slavery. So it's not it's not 400. I, I can't really defend it, but it, the re, the number 400 comes from God's promise to Abraham about the 400. Right. I, I according there's one tradition that says that it should have been 400 in Egypt, but you know God took us out you know early, or that the severity of the slavery you know made it 400 years worth of 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 pain. In a in a shorter uh, span, you know, more concentrated in a small amount of time. There are different ways that it's explained, but it it on a on a timeline level, it was not 400 years. That's the bottom line. So if somebody says 400, I'm assuming that they're just calling on the the original narrative. So was the prophecy wrong? No, I mean you could say that from from the moment that Isaac is born, now Abraham has children, and his children will ultimately be enslaved. And the four hundred years means four hundred years until they get back. Not that all four hundred years would be in bitter would be in slavery. That's how I see. That's how I I understand it. And you said literally it's three fifty two. I mean four hundred just sounds. You know, people aren't going to take like a random number. You know? Three fifty two, but three fifty two is not a real number either. 352 is if you laid out the lifespans of three generations of Kahat, Amram, and Moses at the time of the Exodus. If you lay them out end-to-end, it's 352 years. But that's not how long that was because Kahat didn't spend his whole life in Egypt. So he only started midway through his 137 years. And Kahat didn't have Amram at the end of his life, the last day of his life. In other words, if you put the lifespan make, let's make it simpler. I feel like if we talk about Kahat, Amram and Moshe, it like sounds weird. Person A, person B. Father, son. Father lives 80 years, and the son lives 80 years. From birth of father to death of son is it 160 years? Yes or no. Yes. No.?: No.. no. 80 and 80. 80 and 80. But which father has a son in the last day of his life? You with me? I got lost. If a a parent lives 80 years and the child lives 80 years, how long is it from when the parent was born until the child passes away? Is this not making sense? Let me try again. (laughs) Let me try again. Let me try again. Um... Let's, let's give years. A parent is born, person A is born in 1900. They live 80 years. They pass away in 1980. Their child lives 80 years. Yeah? Is the expectation that their child will pass away in the year? When the child will be born. Huh? You mean will the child be born, which we're saying before, the day the parent died. If I told you that the parent was born in 1900 and, and lived 80 years, right? And their child also lived 80 years and passed away. Are you going to think it's 80 plus 80? No. Of course not. A parent has a child at 30 years old, 25 years old, 40 years old. Yeah. Okay. So that means that you can have a parent that's born in 1900, the child is born in 1940, yeah? And the child passes away in, let's say, 80 years old, in 1940, let's say plus 80 is 2020. So how long is that? It's 120 years, not 160 years. All right, whatever, doesn't matter. It's, it's just, it is what it is. The point is that if you, if you line up the lifespan I see, a, I see a link over here. If you line up... Oh, here's the 400-year timeline. Isaac was six years old when Jacob was born. Sixty Jacob was 131 into Egypt. September 190. <laughs> this is fantastic. That's great. Chabad.org! Chabad.org. Chabad.org has everything. Chabad.org has everything. And it's cracked the code. It's cracked the code of the timeline. There you go. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad we got it. I'm glad we got it. Um, all right, I need to run in a minute, so let's just. Um, but I mean, 400 just sounds, you know. I mean, it's. It's a good, yeah. It's a, ra- it's definitely a round number. It's definitely, definitely a round number. Um, okay, let's uh, let's 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 quickly go and, and wrap this up. So we call. So our Aaron married. Sorry, a loser married one of the daughters of Patiel, that is of the seed of Jethro, who fanned, cast for idolatry, and who was also the seed of Joseph, who defiled him against his passion, who the to of versus wife. Okay. And this is Aaron and Moses, the aforementioned. So Rashi says what I said before, in some places, scripture places Aaron before Moses, other places places Moses before Aaron, to tell us that they were equal. They were equal not only in level, but also equal in humility, and equal in sharing roles. They were... Um, they were equal. Um, they were the ones who spoke. It was they who were the ones who were commanded, and they were the ones who fulfilled what they had been commanded to speak to Pharaoh. They are Moses and Aaron. They remained in their mission and in the righteousness from beginning to end. They never became corrupt, they always remained focused on their mission. Um, now, it came to pass, Rashi says this is connected with the following verse. So it's interesting that this reading ends kind of in the middle of the middle of a the theme a bit of a cliffhanger but nonetheless that is how it ends. All right, I'm going to uh, let's close it out. So, in summation, in summation we have here the doubling down of the promise of God. And I think, you know, that that one takeaway that I want to highlight, we had a lot of conversation, but one takeaway that I want to highlight is the idea that the Jews could not listen to Moses at at this point because me me from the shortness of breath and from all the all, all the strong all the harsh labor. You know, this Idea of not being able to dream or envision something greater or, you know, prepare for something, you know, phenomenal because one is so busy with the details. It's a thing I think that we can all relate to. And it's a thing that we all have to be careful of that we should never get too involved with the nitty gritty of, you know, material um, existence and subsistence. We should never get so carried away with the minutia of life that we stop dreaming the bigger dreams. Let's always dream the dream and have faith and trust that the bigger stuff is going to happen. And let us say, Amen. All right. It's great to see you all. Um, Let's see what's going on uh, this week. A little bit quiet. Um, DPP, as usual. Stay tuned for an announcement regarding Torah studies. Officially, there is No, well, there's no official Torah Studies class this week. They have a week off in the curriculum, but I may do a class anyway Wednesday night. But stay tuned for that. We'll make the announcement either tomorrow or Wednesday. And um, otherwise, yeah, we have a lot of stuff coming up in January. So definitely stay tuned for that. Ray. Did you say or did I read somewhere that... Hashem was going to kill Moshe because he didn't circumcise Eliezer. Is that? Yes, that was last week. Yes. Hashem was going to kill him because he hadn't circumcised his, his son. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. One second. But he did eventually? His wife did. His wife did. His wife took a sharp stone and then did the circumcision and saved Moses' life. Mom took care of business. She definitely did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. See that? Uh you gotta sometimes you just gotta get it done. No philosophy. Just get it done. Moses like, should I do it now? Should I do it later? And he's like, there's no time for this. Boom. <laughs> just get this done. Yeah. Mama knows best, that is for sure. All right. If Moses was born circumcised, maybe he thought like father likes son. There you go. He's looking. I don't I don't remember anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very good. All right. Great to see you all. Ray, Donna, Joy, Mark, Sarah, great to see you. Have a wonderful day. And stay tuned for new announcements coming up this week as well. All right. Take care, everybody. See you soon. Bye. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.